So how are you, how are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Glad to be here, glad to be in the house of God, glad uh, to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. We are going to continue uh, in this series called Partners in the Gospel. And this first part of this book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is greeting the church at Philippi and really communicating his heart of love for the church and how much he cares deeply for, for them and loves them. And, and you really see quickly that there's this love relationship between him and this congregation. And Paul is in prison while he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome. And, and he wrote a letter and sent this letter uh, with Epaphroditus to go to, uh, back to, to Philippi. And so Paul is just wanting them to know that he loves them, he cares for them, he's praying for them, and that they, and that they are in his heart. And so it, this whole theme of Partners in the Gospel is looking at the unity of the body of Christ and why it's needed and why it's important for us to be unified and to work together for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about our relationship, the congregation with the pastor and the pastoral staff, and what does that relationship look like? How, how do we partner together in the gospel? And so I talked last week about how I need your prayers and that I would, that I would ask that you would pray for us as pastors that we would be courageous and that we would be holy, that we would walk in holiness. And then in, in return, we talked about how, how, how as you are praying for us, God is working in, in our life as pastors, and God is, 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 is developing and, and stirring a, a desire in, in our hearts to see Christ matured in your life, see you mature in your faith and to become more and more like Christ. And so there's this relationship between pastor, shepherd, and congregation that is a beautiful reflection of the unity between Christ and his church. And then I just, every time I think about that, I was just thinking about that during worship, about how this symbolism, this, this symbol of a shepherd and a, a sheep, and, and Jesus as a chief shepherd and us as his sheep, it's just an amazing thing that God would ever call us as human beings to be shepherds, to represent him. Like that is just, it's beyond my comprehension that God would ever call anybody to do that, much less m- me. And so I, I, I just, I am overwhelmed at that responsibility. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about the unity that is necessary for us as a whole, as a whole congregation. That unity is necessary. It's not just necessary, it is, it, with, with, without it, without it, we really have nothing here at Living Word Church. We have to be unified together as a congregation for the common purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we ever lose that unity, we've lost it all. We've lost it all. It is, it, it, we, are, we are unable to do what God's called us to do as a congregation if we are not unified together. And so that's what we're going to look at. And so it's interesting. The section I'm going to be covering is Philippians 1, 27 through chapter 2, verse 11. It's a big section. There are three kind of sections we're going to cover. But really, this section really kind of begins this subject of unity and discord. It begins in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he calls out two women in the congregation that are not working together, that are mad at each other. And and he he does it. He calls them out in this letter. And this letter is going to be read in front of the whole church. He calls them out by name uh, to the whole congregation. So let's start there. And let's let's read and we'll see what the Lord speaks to us through this section. So Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. says, I entreat... Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, or Clement, as I was told earlier, Clement, side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Think about this. We have to understand the context of what's going on here. Epaphroditus would have brought this letter to the church at Philippi. They would have opened it up. The whole congregation would have gathered. So let's pretend that this is what's happening. I'm Epaphroditus. I'm in front of the whole church. And this is the section that I get to. I entreat, fill in your name. And I entreat, fill in your name. Hey, Paul says you guys got to get along. You guys got to quit fighting. Paul calls out two ladies in front of the whole congregation through his letter and says, you need to agree together in the Lord. What's interesting is, is that he doesn't have to say anything about what's going on. 
He doesn't give the details. He doesn't say, by the way, I encourage these two women because this is what's going on. I heard about it. This is a situation. This is what happened. He doesn't give any of the, the details. Why is that? Because we are to assume that everyone knows what's going on. It'd be like a, a fight going on in our congregation between two members and word spreads and eventually everybody knows there's disunity there and the letter comes. Nobody needs to be told what's going on because we all know what's going on. And in that context, in a small church, small house church, it would, would have clearly been known by everybody. And he says, you better uh, encourage them to agree together in the Lord. So, so can you imagine these two women? Epaphroditus ratted them out. And so they get their name called from this letter from the Apostle Paul. And they're like, oh, Epaphroditus, why did you have to tell Paul when you went to go visit him? Couldn't you just leave that alone? But what do we, what do we see here? It's a big deal. It's a, it's a big enough deal that Paul would address it in his letter. He doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to write again. You're in prison. You don't know. He doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to write another letter because you're in prison. This, it could be the last communication you write to this church and you include in the letter two, the two names of two women that are, disagree, that are disagreeing in the church. It was important enough for him to communicate that. Because here's what we see about the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was a strong church. They were a healthy church. They had good doctrine, good theology. They were generous in their giving. We're going to look at that in Philippians 4, how they were generous to take care of Paul's needs, and they were generous to raise up an offering for the, for the church in Jerusalem, and they were very generous with their finances, and they were a good, healthy church. But their one problem that the Apostle Paul wanted to deal with was their disunity. They had a major weakness, and it was a weakness of disunity in the congregation. And this is what he wants to deal with. This is the main correction. And I was reading some commentary on Philippians, and, and John MacArthur says this about disunity among God's people. He says this, disunity among God's people deeply grieves the Lord. It should be every pastor's, church leader's, and church member's prayer that men and women will not tear asunder what God has divinely joined together in the body of Christ. It should be the burden of our heart that in our congregation, that there, would be, that there would not be any disunity, that there would not be discord amongst us as a congregation, that, that, that we would not allow anyone to tear asunder what God has established in his church. And so with this as our backdrop, with this as our picture, with this as what the aim of the Apostle Paul is, is to make sure that there's unity in the church we're going to read Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 11, and we're going to break it down into three sections. There's really three things the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church when he's encouraging them towards unity. He's basically going to say this. He's going to say, here's what I desire for you. I desire unity. Here's what I desire for you. Here's what it looks like practically, and here is the example for unity. Here's what I desire, here's what it looks like practically, and here is the example of what it looks like to walk humbly in unity and to submit to God. And so those are the three sections we're going to look at, and we're going to have three points that we're going to bring out here around this subject of striving. That's the title of the message, striving side by side. So let's look at Philippians 1, and we'll read verses 27 through 30. This is the the first section. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You guys like that promise? Listen to that. Just a little side note there. That's just an amazing scripture right there. It has been granted by God. We don't want to have that type of letter sent to us, do we? It has been granted to you that for the sake of of Christ, you should not only believe in him, we don't mind that, but that we should also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. So the apostle Paul knows That if this church is going to make it, if this young church at Philippi is going to make it, 
8 to 10 years old approximately, if they're going to make it, if they're going to be a church that is around for decades long, for centuries long, if if the gospel is going to have impact in that city, in that region, if they're going to make it, they're going to have to fight for unity. They're going to have to strive together side by side for the sake of the gospel. They will have to be unified because if they're not, they will crumble from within. The apostle Paul knows if they're going to make it, they're going to have to withstand the pressures from the outside but also the pressures from the inside that come into the life of a church. We can get pressures from the outside. And in that time, there was pressures from the outside in the form of persecution. But when there's pressures from the inside, when there's attacks on the inside of a church, that, 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 that it begins to slowly erode away at the foundation and the walls begin to crack, the, the foundations begin to crack. And he knows if they're going to make it, they have to walk in unity. They cannot allow attacks from the inside to destroy the foundation of what they are and who they are as a congregation. Here's what I want to tell you. Success as a church should never be taken for granted. Success as a church should never be taken for granted. You know, Tom Rainer, who studies church history, who studies trends in current church, church culture in America in particular, uh, through his research, he, he, he says that, that on average there's around 8,000 churches who close their doors every year in America. 8,000 on average churches per year in America close their door for good, no more church, on average. We should never take for granted success in a church. We should never take, take for granted, look, we have so much to be grateful for as a congregation. God has been so faithful to us over 40 years of God's faithfulness. God has, God has walked with us in this congregation. And many of you, you are not a part of the bulk of that faithfulness, but, but, you, but you are reaping the benefits of God's faithfulness and, and the faithfulness of men and women who laid a foundation in the very beginning in 1979, laid the foundation for this church, worked hard. And, and look, before a church can die, it has to be birthed, right? So what happens when a church is birthed? When a church is birthed, it, men and women come together and they're unified around a common purpose. They're unified around a common goal. And what's that common purpose and goal? So see the gospel move forward. It's to take the message that has transformed their life and to open their doors and to worship together and to invite the community to come, to go into the community, to compel people to come and hear this message of the gospel. A church's birth around these central truths that unify us together. And, and, and then all of a sudden, when these group of people, when they gather together and they do life together, they worship the Lord together, they grow together, the church begins to grow. Lives are changed. Marriages are, are impacted. Legacies are changed. Ministries are started. The church grows. The church grows. It increases. People give up their finances and, and money gets spread all around the world. The church is growing. It's, it's, it's increasing and the gospel is spreading everywhere. And then, and then you, soon enough, you can't fit in a building and you got to have multiple services you have multiple services and, and you do that for a while and, and God's faithful and money is raised and then you build a building. And you build a building and you come and you worship together and there's success. But success should never be taken for granted. What we have should never be taken for granted because here's what can happen. Here's what I believe happens in churches that eventually die that have been successful is you hit this critical mass and all of a sudden, this is what happens on the inside. Oh, I don't, I don't like it when he preaches. I don't like it when they do that. Why, why did they make that decision? Oh, oh that was my seat. Oh, oh that, that was my parking spot. Oh, why, why, are they, why are they doing that program? I don't like that program. And all of a sudden, what used to be in the beginning, this outward focus for the community, for the gospel to spread forward, we end up becoming narcissistic and inward focused. And we lose sight of what we're here for. And this is why it is so important that we fight for unity in the body of Christ. We fight, to, to not, to, we fight for the purpose of not turning inward 
And, and eventually what, what happens in those types of circumstances is that people turn against each other and you have conflict in this corner, you have conflict in that corner and this person says this and they don't like it and then there's disagreement and, and that is the road to a dying church. 8,000 of them die every year. This is what Ben Stewart, pastor of church plant, uh, uh, pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C. This is what he says about dying churches. He says, churches don't die because of someone attacking from the outside. Churches die because of a million little cuts from the inside. From a million little cuts from the inside. Every church, if it's going to last, if it's going to make it, must continually be reminded of why it exists, of what its motivations should be. So what did the Apostle Paul say would be the motivations? In the section of Scripture that we just read in, in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, there's some keys here that will help us as a congregation to fight for unity, to fight for each other, not against each other, to fight for the sacredness of what we have here at Living Word Church. What did he say there? He said, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in a manner. And that's an interesting word here, the word manner. You wouldn't think it would mean what it actually means. But when you study that word out in the original language, it it gives the meaning of citizenship. It gives the meaning of citizenship. So really what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he's telling this church, he's saying, he's addressing their disunity in their congregation, and he's saying, live in a way that reflects who you are and who you belong to. Who do we belong to? belong to Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom. And so I forgot to tell you my first point. My first point is is that as citizens of the kingdom, we must strive side by side. That's what he's saying here. Live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in a way that reflects that you are are a citizen of the kingdom, not of this earth. And when does it get messy? And when does it get difficult in congregations and in churches and in families and on jobs? It's whenever we forget what the main purpose is and we start living according to what we feel and what we think and we forget why we're here. That's how it always happens in a marriage. When marriages get difficult, it's because people turn inward and only want what they want, their way, or the highway, and they forget why they married their spouse. They forget, and it can happen with kids so easily. You guys remember my story last week about Bailey the Beagle? You can, I can turn inward and be so self-centered, and, and the peace left my home, and ba- Bailey came into the door, and I can forget that those children are there from God. They're sent from the Lord for me to help them to become stable human beings when they're older. That's my job. You guys know that, right, parents? We got to love them towards stability. Because <laughs> right now they are quite unstable as children. They need to learn to be stable, good citizens in our community. But when we forget that we're to live in accordance with who we are, that's when things get, get messy in families, on jobs, in churches. So it's kind of like this, kind of like, uh, you know, with our kids. You know, there's certain ways that buffkins are to live. This is, this is how a buffkin lives. And you can put that, you can put your last name. That's, the, the, this is how the, the Terrios live, the Boudreaux live. This is how the, the, the Troskers live. This is how the Carnes live, on and on and on. That's the picture. This is how we live. This is how we live as Living Word Church. This is our identity. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And, 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 and we are going to strive to live in accordance with that, and we're going to love each other, and we're going to lay aside our differences. The word manner points to that reality, to our citizenship. Live in accordance with who you are because of what the gospel has done in your life. So what Paul is saying is, is as citizens of the kingdom, this is how you should act. Because you are a citizen of the kingdom, the way in which you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ should reflect what Christ has done for you. What has Christ done for you? He's been so gracious and so kind, so patient. Isn't he patient with us? He's patient with us. He's long-suffering. What's the second? What's the second thing that he says there? So he says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then he says this, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side. And so it's the picture of striving. So that picture, that word striving is a picture of battle. It's a battle word. 
It's a, it's, it's a, it's a laboring battle word. So he's saying that you need to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. It literally means to contend together against opposition. So when he's saying strive by side, strive side by side, he's saying that you need to contend together against someone else, against the opposition. Who's their opposition? Satan. So we shouldn't be contending together against each other. We should be contending together against the real enemy. That's what he's saying there. Contend together. Strive side by side. We're not fighting against each other, but we're fighting for each other. And so you, you, you've heard me mention this before. You've heard other preachers m- mention this, that in Roman battle, that the, the, the soldiers would have their swords. Their sword was for their enemy, but their shield was for their brother. Their sword was for their enemy, but their shield was for their brother. And their shield was as big as their bodies, some of them, five or six feet tall and three or four feet wide. And when they would get behind that shield and their brother next to them and on the, on the other side had their shield, their, their shields was, were, were for each other. And that's the picture of striving side by side. I'm not going to cut you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to fight against you. I'm going to fight against the enemy on your behalf, and I'm going to protect you against the enemy. That's what Paul was saying there. Live in a manner that reflects who you are and strive side by side for each other. Fight for each other. Amen? We're fighting against the enemy. we got enough trouble in this world. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if he, and if he has his way, he prowls his way in here seeking to devour us. And we can't allow him. We can't give him opportunity in, amongst our relationships as a congregation. We have to fight against the enemy for each other. It's kind of like this story of the tiny lion cub. Little bitty tiny lion cub. Little, little, I'm emphasizing little, little, little bitty, <laughs> tiny lion cub sitting on top of a dead rhinoceros, a giant, huge, dead rhinoceros, a big rhinoceros, big, tiny, little cub, lion cub sitting on top of the giant, dead rhinoceros. And the lion cub is eating its breakfast, just chowing down. And this man walks by and looks at him and says, did you, did you kill that rhinoceros? Sure did. How'd you kill that rhinoceros? I killed him with my club. And the guy says, you killed him with your club? How big is your club? What type of club is it you have that you could kill that giant rhinoceros? And the tiny lion cub looks at the man and says, we've got about a hundred of us. You guys get the picture, right? We're greater together. We are greater together. And that's the picture that... Amen. Amen. You can clap for that one. That, that's, that's, a, that's a great picture for us that we, we, we got a big club. We have a big club and it's, it's us. It's us unified together, fighting against the schemes of the enemy, not fighting against each other, not complaining about what we like, what we don't like, not complaining about our opinions about this and when we don't get our way. It's fighting against the enemy, the real enemy, and fighting for the forward momentum of the gospel we must fight for each other against the schemes of the enemy ephesians 6 says finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood we don't wrestle against each other but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Amen? As citizens of the kingdom, we must strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. We have no option. No option. So I just want to tell you this. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to strive side by side, my prayer for you here this morning is that the Lord would touch your heart and that you would see the blessing of being a part of a body of believers that love each other and fight for each other. Some of you, I just want to say this, some of you, you've been fighting areas of sin in your life right now and it's been, it's been eating your lunch, it's been whooping you. And you've been fighting the devil by yourself. You need some, some people in your club and your church family to come and help fight with you. 
You need, you need somebody to have their shield and their sword to come alongside you, stand side by side and fight with you against the attacks of the enemy in your life. So if that's you this morning, ask for help. If you're struggling in areas of sin, addiction, whatever area you're struggling in, you, you, you need help. Don't fight alone. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. So striving, we must strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. But my second point is this, is that striving side by side takes humility. Striving side by side takes humility. We must strive side by side, but striving, walking in unity, striving side by side takes humility. That's what we see in Philippians 2 as we continue on through the text. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You guys see what he's saying here? He said earlier in those first verses, I want you to strive side by side. This is my desire. Now here's what it looks like to strive side by side. It's going to take Humility, striving side by side takes humility. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, he, it, it's interesting the language there in verses one through four. He, the, the writer there says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, really what, what he's trying to say there is because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love from Christ, because we have the work of the spirit in us, because we have affection and compassion from the Lord, then this is it's, it's only reasonable that we would humble ourselves and strive to walk side by side. That's what he's saying there. It's going to take humility. And, he, and really, in this section right here, verses, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, there's really three strong encouragements about what it takes to strive side by side in this section. Three strong encouragements. Let's go back to, to the text there. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition. That's the first one. This is what it takes to walk in unity or to strive side by side. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition. In humility, second thing, count others more significant than yourselves. And thirdly, look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Three things. Let's break those three things down. What does it mean to do nothing from selfish ambition? These are the three basic keys. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's the seeking of personal glory. That if we're going to strive side by side, if we're going to strive side by side and walk in humility, it's going to be humility that motivates us to not be about ourselves and not seek our own glory, not seek to be the center of attention. First Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And here's the picture, is that, is that if we're going to walk in unity, it can't be about us. We have to have this mindset that we are not in this for our own ambition, for our own conceit to have what we want, to get what we want. You guys follow me? So there, there's really two types of growth that take place in churches. They're either parasitic growth or symbiotic growth. Symbiotic growth in, within a church is growth where there's two organisms that are benefiting from each other and they're both giving to each other and they're both growing from each other. Parasitic growth is this. Parasitic growth is, it, it sounds like this. Sing to me, preach to me, counsel me, help me, but don't expect anything from me. Only one person is benefiting and growing, right? It's like a, it's like, it's like a leech. It's like a, it's like a parasite. That's the type of growth that is happening where we're sucking the life from each other because it's not this give and take relationship. It's, we are, we are, we are, we are doing what we do for selfish ambition. That it's about me. But symbiotic growth says this. How can my voice bless someone else? How can I help counsel someone else? How can I help? Growth that occurs when two organisms benefit and grow together. You guys follow me? It's not self-centered. It's not self-centered. If we're going to strive together in unity, we, we must have symbiotic growth where we are blessing each other. We're not here for we, what we can get out of it. You, you guys know that? When you come to worship, it's not here. We're not here to get what we want. We're here to give so that others, so that the Lord can be blessed and so that others can be 
bless. The second thing he says is that we should humbly seek to celebrate someone else. That we should count others more significant than ourselves. Humbly seek to celebrate someone else. It's not about us. We're not self-centered. And I want to seek to see that your gifts are used. I want to seek to see that who you are, who you're called to be, gets to come to the surface and be used for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a great picture of this. It says, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. I love this language here. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would, make, that would not make it any less part of a body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, if we didn't have our unique giftings and we were all like an eye, if we were all the same, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Listen to this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We can't say to each other, I don't need you. We have to prefer each other above ourselves. We're all needed. We all have special giftings and places in the body of Christ. All of us, all of, all of you, do you guys know that? All of you have unique giftings that are needed within this body, that are needed within this body. We cannot say, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Isn't that beautiful? The parts of the body, the, one, the part of the body of Christ that seems like, well, we can do without them. In actuality, the Bible says they're indispensable. Who do we like to shine the light on? In the body of Christ, those that are on the platform, those that are the vocal gifts, those that are the musical gifts, those that are the most, seem to be the most talented. But the scripture tells us that the ones that seem to be the less gifted, the less, that seem to be indispensable, they are actually the ones that are indispensable. We must prefer one. If we're going to strive side by side, we must consider someone else above ourselves. So here's the question. What ministries are going to be birthed in this church because somebody steps into their gifting? What ministry has God placed in your heart? What have you been sitting on in, in, in your life? You've been sitting on it for weeks, for months, maybe even years. You've been sitting on this desire in your heart. What ministries are going to be birthed in this church whenever somebody steps up and says, I have a desire, God's given me a gifting, and here's what I see that God is doing. What, what, what is that gifting? I just want to challenge you. If you have a desire for an area of ministry, our goal is not to squelch ministries. Our goal is to see ministries birthed. So if you have a desire to see the gospel spread in your area, in your community, where God's placed you, come talk to us. We want to help you fulfill God's purposes for your life in this body. What ministries will be birthed because people step into their God-given calling? We must learn to celebrate who God has called. We must learn to celebrate our brothers and sisters in Christ and how God will use them to glorify Christ. This is not a competition. It's not a competition between who, who can be the, 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 the most used and the most articulate, the best gifted person. We must prefer each other. And then the, the third thing he says there is that we must care more about the desires of others than our own desires. We must care more about, about someone else's desires than our own desires. This is one of the most challenging things in our life as, as human beings. And this plays out not only in the church, but it plays out in our marriage and in our family and on, and on, and, and on our jobs. We are naturally self-centered. We want what we, what, what we want and what we desire. You guys can relate to me with that? Is that how you are? Or am I the only one? Is that how you are too? You guys want to admit that with me here this morning? That you're self-centered like me? Okay, once you come down, let's, let's, let's all pray. Come and repent before the Lord. But that's how we are. We're naturally self-centered. This is one of the most hardest things for us to walk in is a laying down of what we want, what we desire. We naturally only want what we want, and we want it our way, right away, all the time. And it gets nasty in relationships, whether it's in family or in the body of Christ, when people don't get what they want, and they let you know that, 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 that you, they didn't get what they wanted. And they make you pay for it by the things they say to you. We must lay down our right to be right. We must lay down the desire to have it our way. Humility is the foundational requirement for ministry. 
for being used by God. We must humbly prefer other people above ourselves. We must humbly lay down our desires and, and say, hey, have it your way. Yes, yes, I will prefer you and what you desire above what I want. We must walk in humility. So what's the easiest way for a baby to be born? Naturally, right? <laughs> what position does the head need to be in? Oh, you can talk to me. Head first, down. Head down. Head needs to be down, right? What happens when the head's not down? Lots of pain, right, ladies? Lots of pain. Lots of, lots of pain. And, 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 the, and the doctor, you know, some of you, you know, you, you're probably, you know, when they do the ultrasound right before it's time to give birth, and they're like, oh, you got to start praying that baby turns. You got you to get the head down. And so what happens is, is there's a lot of extended pain for the, for the mother. Mothers, is that correct? For those of you who have, have, have birthed a, a, a baby that's not positioned correctly? Extended pain. Is that a good way to describe it? Extended pain because the baby is not head down. Same is true in our life when we are not humbly with our face and our head down in our life. There is extended pain in every area of your life. If you are not head down, if you are not postured correctly in humility, there is extended pain in your life. Live your life not humble before the Lord and not humble before others. You will have extended pain in your life. We must humbly We must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. We have to turn our heads down and say, Lord, I'm humbling myself, submitting myself to you and to your ways. And I am humbling myself before you and God's people and not having it my way. First Peter 5, 6 says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's what it takes. It takes humility. Striving side, we must strive side by side. As citizens of the kingdom, we must strive side by side. And striving side by side takes humility. We must put our heads down and humbly submit to the Lord. Say, Lord, not my way, not what I want. I want to fight for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, not fight with each other. And lastly, humility was exemplified in Christ. As citizens of the kingdom, we must strive side by side. Striving side by side takes humility, and humility was exemplified in Christ. This is, this is that flow that, that I told you. Paul said, this is what I, I desire for you, and here's what it looks like, but here's the example. Christ is the example of humility. Listen to this, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was truly God and truly man. And what did he do? He humbled himself. He is the perfect picture of humility. He is the perfect picture of preferring someone else above yourself. He's the perfect picture of not wanting his desires, but, but preferring someone else's desires. He is the perfect picture of humility. The perfect picture. This is what he came to do. He did not hold on to the privileges of deity. He had privileges of being not only man, but being God. Being God in the flesh. He had privileges of being God. And he could have came and demanded his own way. He could have came and said, this is what I want. This is what you're going to do for me. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. He exemplifies humility. He exemplifies long-suffering. He exemplifies love and fighting for other people because it's who he is. It's what he came to do. Instead, he emptied himself of those rights and those privileges. He never emptied himself of his deity when he walked the earth. 
He was always at all times fully God and fully man. But what he emptied himself of was his privileges and his rights as God. And he humbled himself for you and for me. He humbled, he obediently submitted to the will of the Father on our behalf to take our place. And this is what I want to tell you. He came to take your place. He came to take your place. If you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the reason Christ came and humbled himself was for you. He humbled himself for your benefit. Not for your, not, 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 not for earthly, temporary benefit. He humbled himself so that you could be forgiven of your sins and spend eternity in heaven with him forever. That's why he humbled himself. He humbled himself so that, so, so that the, the debt, the sin debt that you have on your shoulders could be forgiven. That's why he came. That's why he took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. If you remember in Luke 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's a perfect example of humility. He's a perfect example of only seeking to obey the will of the Father. Luke 22 says this, And when he came to the place, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his disciples that were with him, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed. This is Jesus praying to the Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, he humbled and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The perfect example of humility, preferring others above his own self. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering. He knew the scourging. He knew the beating. He knew the nails. He knew what was coming. He knew the rejection. He knew that when he left the garden after he got arrested, he knew that all of the disciples that he had been with for three and a half years was going to turn their back and flee him and, and not be there in the most agonizing point of his life. When he needed them the most, they were going to be gone. He knew all of that was what he was about to experience and he's before the Father. He's praying and he's got his sleeping disciples. I can't stay awake and pray with him. And he's praying to the Father. He says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I will choose everything that I know is coming that is painful, that will hurt me, that will separate me from you. I will take all of it because of them, because of the sleeping disciples. We're the sleeping disciples. We all sleep in prayer. We wouldn't have stayed, stayed awake either. He said, I will take all of that for them, for you, for me. That's humility. He's the perfect example of humility. And so here's what I want to say. I can hear you thinking, I can't love like that. I can't give like that. I can't serve like that. I can't lay down my desires like that. I can't be like that. There's no way. And I want to tell you, you are absolutely right. You can't. You can't do it. I agree. Amen. Let's close in prayer. You can't do it. You can't do everything that I just told you that you need to do. Or that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told you. You can't do any of it. You're right. But where's the hope? It's what what the Apostle Paul said. Do you remember what he said there? Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the mind of Christ. Oh, that's so good. I'm about to preach myself happy here. This is so good. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That same mind that was kneeling down in the garden of Gethsemane that chose someone else's benefit over his own. That same mind that decided, I'm going to take the punishment, I'm going to take the pain, and I'm going to prefer someone else above myself. That same mind that went all the way to the cross, that bore the sins of all of humanity on himself, is the same mind that you have if you belong to Christ. So, so it is true. You can't do it. You cannot do it unless you have the mind of Christ. And if you have the mind of Christ, you can, you, you, you can do it. You can walk in that same type of humility and patience and long-suffering within the body of Christ, within your marriage, within your family, with your friends, with those that you don't like. There's some of you here, some people that you just don't like. Is that right? 
Some people you don't like being around. You can have the mind of Christ with them. You can love them. You can be patient with you. You can forgive them. Not, not in something that you conjure up on your own, but it's through the work of the gospel in your heart that transforms your heart. And it's through that gospel transformation that forgiveness flows, that reconciliation flows, that the spirit of teamwork and fighting for each other flows. You have this mind. If we belong to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. We have his spirit that is in us and he's working in us to continually point us towards Christ's likeness. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and empowers us towards Christ's likeness, towards godliness, and empowers us to say yes to the Holy Spirit and to say no to the flesh. It's through the power of Christ. Amen? Colossians 1, 28 through 29 says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I love that. Apostle Paul says there in Colossians, he has a goal that he wants to present everyone that's under his care, mature in Christ. And what does he say about that task? He says, for that, for this, I toil. He says, I'm going to work. I'm going to toil to present everyone under my care, mature in Christ. He said, I'm going to work at it. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes Perseverance. I'm going to toil. But what does he say here? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Look, look at that paradox there. Look at that, that seeming contradiction. He's saying, he's saying that he's toiling, but at the same time, in his next breath, he's saying it's not me that's toiling. It's I'm struggling with all of his energy that he is working within me. That's the beauty of the gospel, that when you think you can't, when you think you can't, the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to make, to make those decisions that you are called to make, to prefer your brother, to prefer your wife, to prefer your husband, to be a godly father, to be a great employee, to strive side by side in the body of Christ. I want us to be a church family that are a bunch of magnets instead of marbles. You're either going to be a marble You're going to be a magnet. Which one are you going to be? You want to be a marble or a magnet? Let's be some magnets. Because here's what happens. I bought a bag of marbles. Now, it's interesting with these marbles. This would represent us. It's a collection of marbles, individual marbles. And there's, there's an external unifying factor these marbles are connected together on, right? It's this, this bag. It's an external unifying factor. So they're going to stay unified and together as long as they have the external unifying factor. But if you were, that's kind of like, that's kind of like pumpkin patch. We need volunteers for pumpkin patch. Come and serve. But that's an external unifying factor that will bring us together for a little while. And it could be pumpkin patch. It could be serving here on Sunday mornings. It could be the worship team. You work together, serve together. Any other area you think, but you remove the external unifying factor. I don't know what's going to happen here. I didn't get a practice one, so let's see what happens. Everybody kind of goes their own way. They're just, there's nothing else there to unify them together. And, and I thought about what would happen if I just dropped it all on this tabletop. They would, those marbles, what, what would happen with those marbles? If the slope was going this direction, it would go wherever the slope went, right? They, everyone would go their own way. Because there's nothing inside of this marble inherently that is going to draw them to any one of those, those other marbles. So we don't want to be marbles. We want to be magnets. But here's what happens as magnets, right? This is, this is unity. This is unity. They're together. Sometimes, though, we get forced apart. We get mad at each other. We get, we get upset at each other. We don't like decisions that were made. Somebody offended. They didn't greet me at the door. They didn't hug my neck. They didn't say yada, yada. We go on and on. Or, or, or really deeper hurts can happen, not just surface things. But sometimes as brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe together here or in your family, you get ripped apart 
But as believers, the hope is, is that there is a powerful work of the Holy Spirit going on that is resonant in, in, inside of us. It's here. There is a magnetic power. If you're a believer here, there is a magnetic power of the Holy Spirit that if you get in close proximity to a brother and sister in Christ, here's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to come together. You're going to come together. So, so don't, don't be discouraged when you get ripped apart. Just don't quit hanging around each other. Don't just give up. Don't just walk away from those relationships. Don't just walk away. If you, if you just hang on and you hang around long enough because the Holy Spirit's working in me and the Holy Spirit's working in you, that magnetic power of the Holy Spirit's working in us, we hang around each other long enough, we're going to come together because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us to, to build unity. Amen? So we want to be magnets and not marbles. Don't you stand your feet with me here this morning? The Holy Spirit is the magnetic energy that draws us together as a church. Sometimes situations try to rip us apart. Sometimes our differences try and rip us apart. But unlike these marbles, we have an internal energy from God that is working in us to draw us together in unity, in love, and in forgiveness. To draw us together for common gospel purposes. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you here this morning, whatever areas in your life where there's disunity, where there's discord, where there's struggle, I want to encourage you to not give up. If you're a believer here, you have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Don't allow that disunity and that discord to separate you from the relationships that God has blessed you with. Don't allow that to happen. Submit, humble yourself. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. He'll bring reconciliation and restoration in his timing. So I want to pray for you here this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss in prayer. And if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come. Receive Christ. If you don't have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, the only way you can have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit is if you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He becomes the Lord of your life. Or you submit everything to him. You acknowledge him as the savior of your life. You acknowledge that he took your place. I want to invite you to do that here this morning. And I want to pray for you. And I will, as soon as I dismiss in prayer, I will be in that prayer room down that hallway. And you come and pray with me. There will be other prayer counselors. But if you need prayer about anything else, maybe you're a believer here, you need prayer about anything else in your life, we'll be over there. We will pray for you. We will link arms with you. We'll pray for you. Can I pray for us this morning? That God would seal his word in our hearts. God, I thank you for your word. God, our desire as a church is that we would not take for granted the blessings that we have. We would not take for granted the success that we've had as a church. That I pray, Lord, that we would never turn inward. That we would never just eat our own, bite our own, hurt our own. God, I pray that we would love each other that we would unify together around, the, around common gospel purposes. Pray that we would never lose sight of why we are here. God, what a blessing it is. What a blessing it is that we get to worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for this congregation. They're your precious children that you have called, uniquely gifted. I pray that more and more people will step into their giftings and callings. God bless this precious family. Thank you that we are a family. We are a giant club, more than a hundred, that strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. I thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, see you next week. I love you.